Today's episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Sign up with betonline.ag today and score a 75% bonus to use on this week's loaded betting board. Simply use promo code BOXINGRANT and up to $1,000 worth of sportsbook bonuses will be added to your bankroll instantly. BetOnline posts the most odds on every major sport. Football, basketball, baseball, boxing. You'll never miss an opportunity to get in on the action at BetOnline. Once again, that's promo code Boxing Rant for your exclusive 75% bonus. Sign up at betonline.ag today because you can. Welcome to the Tale of the Tape. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. Boxing knowledge dropped by Kenny and Vin. It's the sweet science by the diehard fan. Manny and Floyd, Triple G and the rest. Like an overhand right from Crush Kovalev. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans, and welcome back to episode 76 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Follow the show on Twitter at The Boxing Rant and rant with us on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram. Shoot me an email, podcast at theboxingrant.com, and leave a question to be read on a future episode, a comment, a topic, a scorecard, a fight you watched, rant with us. Have a busy episode here on episode 76 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast as I'll be previewing the return of the WBC heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder as he squares off against the guy you've never heard of and... A championship fight from Mexico. The WBO and WBA flyweight titles will be on the line as El Gallo, the rooster, Juan Francisco Estrada, squares off against Tyson Marquez. Andy Ruiz, the much slimmed down and improved Ruiz, taking his career in a new direction against Devin Marcus on Unimas. And we have a WBA 168-pound strap on the line as Fedor Chudinov squares off against Frank Buglioni. And Katsunari Takeyama squares off against Ryuji Hara for the IBF Strawweight Championship of the World. And we have some news and notes. We're going to talk a little bit of Batman and the Joker. As Tyson Fury and Vladimir Klitschko had a press conference to remember. Kovalev and Ward, Abraham Hopkins, all kinds of rumors, news, and notes to get to here on episode 76 of The Tale of the Tape. But before I recap the action from earlier this week, I just wanted to make a special announcement. Some of you have been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast since day one, since May of 2014, when I started the show alongside my co-host, Vince Cummings. I'm now sitting here on episode 76. Some of the original listenership of this show that have stuck 
with the tail end of the tape through schedule changes, content changes, everything that's going on. We've tried to bring you consistent, quality, well-produced content for the boxing diehard out there in the boxing universe. And along the way through those changes, people have sent me some emails asking, what happened to your co-host? Where is Vince? Vince, last episode that he did on the show was episode 68 of the tale of the tape sitting here on episode 76. I'm proud to announce that this coming Monday on episode 77 of the tale of the tape boxing podcast, I will welcome back my co-host and partner in crime, Vince Cummings. So I know a lot of you out there in the boxing universe that have been listening to the show for a while will be happy to hear that Vince will be returning to the show on Monday and we will go forward as the dynamic duo of boxing podcasters here on the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. So let's go ahead and revisit the action from this past week in boxing. It was the PBC on FS1, Toe to Toe Tuesdays, and the debut in the spotlight in his first main event with Al Heyman's premier boxing champions, Julian J. Rock Williams, squared off against the Argentine Luciano Cuello in a super welterweight clash from the Sands Casino in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It was a pretty good night of fights, an action-packed evening. We'll get to the undercard that was a nice, mouth-watering appetizer of action-packed boxing. But let's get to the main event. Julian Williams. I said in the pre-fight, you know, that there was probably two ways that Julian Williams was going to find the most success against a, you know, historically tough fighter in Luciano Cuello. Cuello found success coming forward and pressing when he fought the likes of Willie Nelson and Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. But in those two losses, eventually his opponents outboxed him and they were able to beat him and stop him moving forward by boxing from the outside. Now, in his third loss coming into this fight against Canelo Alvarez, this was the other method that I thought Julian Williams could exploit, and that was with pin point accuracy and power and boy did Julian Williams implement the latter J-Rock comes out in the first and lands a big right that turns Cuello into spaghetti and we watched him just stumble away towards the ropes where the explosive J-Rock teed off on the Argentine right hand after right hand it seemed like a fight in a Rocky movie, the Philadelphia native J-Rock Williams doing his best Rocky impression by teeing up his opponent with a setup hand followed by massive right after massive right. Finally, Cuello shows no signs of firing back, and referee Gary Rosado jumps in to stop the fight. J-Rock Julian Williams by devastating first-round knockout. I have to admit, I'm one of the biggest proponents of the skill set, the determination, the mind frame, and the total package that is Julian Williams. I have him rated as the number five ranked prospect in all of boxing. He is most certainly a top five prospect in all of boxing, and now he is escalating himself into contender status. He's ready for his shot. At a title, Does he need to pick off a big name on the way? I'm not sure he does. He calls out after the fight. He says he will go to Houston and take the Charlos newly acquired belt. He and Austin Trout had been beefing. 
And this kind of gets me, let's take J-Rock's impressive performance and put that aside for one second. I think it was completely and 100% inappropriate that Alston Trout was involved on the announcing team for this fight. 100% completely inappropriate. Um, We've seen this before where announcers have announced potential opponent fights. You know, most recently one that sticks out was when Andre Ward did a Gilberto Ramirez fight. And, you know, I mean, with Andre Ward coming back, he's looking for opponents. Some of the opponents in the 168-pound division, if he decided to stay in that division, he's already fought. So Gilberto was a likely one. And he slips a couple times during the announcing of that fight and kind of talks about what he would do in that fight. And to me, I think announcers have to maintain their, you know, they have to maintain a middle line. They cannot show any tor- any sort of bias. They have to be able to observe and report on what is happening in the ring. Austin Trout tried to, but the problem was, and you could tell it was completely contrived, just like we saw at the end of the Peter Quillen fight when he fought against the dancing bear stripper from Australia, um, the one that he was 20 pounds heavier than and almost killed, murdered in the ring. We saw some WWE script unfolding. Like, you remember back in the day, I mean, I know a lot of the listeners of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast were wrestling fans growing up. When I was a kid, I was a diehard WWF fan. And you would see these fights where, you know, the fight might be against, uh, you know, it might be on a pay-per-view, it might not be, but you would have, let's just say, for example, um, you had, you know, uh, Macho Man was in the ring fighting against uh, Brett the Hitman Hart, and Hulk Hogan was sitting ringside with the headset on, and Hogan would say something to distract the Macho Man. Macho Man would turn for one second, and then Brett the Hitman Hart would come, you know, with a flying elbow off the back of Macho Man's head, pin him, and win, and Hogan would drop the headsets and, like, walk away laughing. I mean, this is exactly what this seemed like. You had Austin Trout sitting there after the fight, and you can tell that, like, Julian Williams is, like, I don't know. I mean, he engaged Austin Trout, but it looked like Austin Trout was more of the the guy that was following the script since he was probably sent there with a version of a script to cover this fight. And J-Rock just seems to be business. He wants to fight anybody in and around the 154-pound division, and I believe him. And the only thing that will keep Julian Williams from fighting the very best is Al Heyman, period. Julian Williams is cut from a completely different cloth. You can talk to those that write positive spin pieces for the PBC, and you can talk to writers and analysts that have a more, um, you know, I don't want to say cynical, but a more observant outsider perspective with no ties and affiliations to the PBC. And you get one universal sort of sentiment about this kid and that he has the intangibles and the mentality to be great. This guy is the definition of something I used to say all the time that I don't say as much anymore because of the watered-down Walmarted PBC mismatches is Dare to be great. And Julian Williams has that mentality. So I don't think he was as much of a willing participant in that WWE BS, but Austin Trout certainly was. And you could tell just by the look on Trout's face, he doesn't, he doesn't want any part of this kid. And he said it one time during the telecast, Trout did, when he, when he said, you know what, uh, 
I, I'm trying to go after a title, and Julian Williams doesn't do anything for me, which is code for Julian Williams to kick my ass and ruin my chances of making a comeback towards a belt, which has been the the road that Trout is on. So here's the thing. I think Trout versus J-Rock would be an interesting fight stylistically because you'd have an orthodox fighter against a southpaw. But here's the thing. Southpaw orthodox, I don't think any of that would matter in that fight because I think Julian Williams is way too aggressive um, way too aggressive for Trout. And I just think that, you know, if Julian Williams decided to box with Austin Trout, then I think the fight would be much closer than it needs to be. Um, I didn't get the impression outside of a botched, horrible acted script by Austin Trout that he wants any part of J-Rock Julian Williams. So J-Rock, by impressive, impressive first-round, devastating knockout against Luciano Cuello Tuesday night, on the PBC on FS1, J-Rock improves to 21-0 and with 13 knockouts. Look forward to see J-Rock, the Philadelphia product, back in the ring in full effect. The rise of J-Rock Julian Williams is an exciting thing for boxing fans because political affiliations aside, <laughs> you cannot deny the talent of this kid. Let's talk about the lead-in fight, the co-feature, if you will. A fight that kind of took me by surprise. I wasn't really paying attention to it too much in the lead-up as I have other projects going on in the professional podcasting universe. Um, Moises Flores squaring off against Luis Cusolito. Now, this, a super bantamweight, junior featherweight, whatever your prerogative and choice of uh, nomenclature may be, um, a 122-pound contest featuring Mexican versus Argentine and a fight that many believed would lead to guts and glory for these two laying it all on the line. And boy, did they prove to provide a really, really entertaining fight. Was there much skill involved in this one? No. But when two guys lay it all on the line and are tough as nails, skill doesn't necessarily need, um, <laughs> need to be a prerequisite whatsoever. So let's get to the junior featherweight action. In the first round, Flores is jabbing forward into range as Cusolito answers with counter hooks. But Flores presses to set up the overhand right. It was something that he looked to do all night long. Flores pushes Cusolito to the ropes and works to the body. Cusolito forces his way out with a lead left and lunging uppercut. Flores has initiated the pace from the onset of this fight and has connected with an impressive 55% of his power punches in the opening frame. We get to the second, and Cusolito is shifting, avoiding the shots from Flores. Both fighters are looping hooks at one another and kind of telegraphing their punches. Flores makes his way inside with punches, and Cusolito ducks into some of these powerful uppercuts, sitting down on many of them. I have to say, though, Cusolito is game, but he is sloppy in the second round. Um, his hands are coming with a heavy left um, that closes the second round, sending Flores backwards and off balance, and the bell rings. I ha you know, if that, if that round in the second would have gone another 15 to 20 seconds long, Cusolito could have definitely done some damage. But we start to see a pattern beginning to form with these two. Cusolito jumps the bell in the third and comes out firing. He's much more effective with his straight punches than these looping slow hooks. Flores is backing Cusolito. Into the ropes again, another pattern that was establishing, landing a big overhand right. Flores lands a right hook, left uppercut combination, sharp and thudding to close 
the third. In the fourth round, both fighters are digging into the corner, sitting down on their hooks to the body. The sound, the percussive nature of their punches was thudding indeed. Cusolito was effective with that straight right at distance once more. We head to the fifth. At this point in time, there's little to no jabbing going on. Flores found success in the first two frames. Really, he won those two rounds, in my opinion, by entering behind the jab. But the, pl- the pressure of Flores was just pure power shots. You know what? And it was enough to get in, and it was enough to land. Cusolito was fighting back with his heart on his sleeve as he was against the ropes. Too many times he allowed himself to be pinned in the ropes. But Cusolito dives in with a monster lunging right hand, and Flores was on fire to close the fifth, landing his punches with animosity. At the very, very end of every punch, Flores in the sixth round is beginning to land power shot after power shot on a regular, consistent basis. Cusolito is absorbing far too much of it, far too much of it, always seeming to be on his heels, being pushed into that corner again and again. The pattern of the fight was established at this point. Six or seven power shots, rest. Four or five hooks, rest. Back and forth they go. We head to the seventh, and Cusolito lands a few powerful, snapping straight left jab hook hybrids. Cusolito allowing himself to be pushed into the corner repeatedly as he rests. Flores is stinging Cusolito with the right hook to the body, but Cusolito pushes back to the center of the ring with a jab. Here comes the jab. It's really been his only effective method of keeping Flores off of him, and he probably should have been jabbing much sooner. Something has to give in the seventh, but Cusolito seizes a bit of the momentum at the end of the round as Flores looks like he might be getting a little bit tired. After seven rounds, we have over 700 power shots thrown between the two fighters, and Flores is landing at a 45% clip. Unreal. The eighth round was a toss-up. A toss-up round indeed. We head to the ninth, and the sweat is flying at the opening bell. Pop, pop, pop. Flores upping the tempo, looking to close the fight. But Cusolito is just wearing it. And he seems to have the most sustained success later in the round. But Flores stuns Cusolito with a closing swarm right in the final 10 seconds of the ninth that seemed to have damaged Cusolito just a bit. The 10th round, and these two fighters look exhausted, but they are still swinging all the way to the very, very end. And we fast forward to the 12th round when Flores stuns Cusolito, rocking him backwards, and then all of a sudden the ref jumps in and stops the fight. A shocking quick stoppage indeed. Moises Flores by way of 12th round knockout. Ah, you hate to see a fight involving two guys that lay it all on the line like this get stopped like that. I mean, did the referee watch the first 11 rounds? This fight deserved to go to the end. Both fighters had enough equity invested in a fairly evenly matched fight where both did damage to one another. Cusolito wore a lot and was worn down by power shots. But Flores' face was a mess by the end of the fight. You know, I just hate to see something end so anticlimactic. And I think that there was a collective sort of gasp 
when the ref jumped in on Twitter. I mean, seriously, boxing diehards tuned into this fight were having a blast. I was having a blast. Everybody watching this fight was having fun talking about it and watching it. It was a good time. That was a disappointing ending. It really was. Uh, I think Flores deserved to win the fight. I had him winning the fight uh, coming into the final frame, but only by one point. I had him up 105 to 104. It was a close fight. The skill level was kind of street fight level, to be honest with you. Uh, the footwork by these two was pretty awful. Um, both fighters were kind of put all their balance on their heels, which I guess, you know, in some regard leads to um, <laughs> the number of power shots that were thrown in this fight as they were, you know, kind of in a natural position to sit down on their punches. But the highest regards to both uh, Flores and Cusolito for their hearts and toughness. These two were grinding grinding all right so that'll do it from the action from the pbc on fs1 and i will get you now to another fight that i preview shinseki yamanaka versus anselmo moreno for the wbc bantamweight championship in japan a battle of two classic style boxers two very very classic southpaws indeed and it proved to be much of what my prediction for this fight was a close close decision in the end that found the hometown advantage going to Shinseki Yamanaka who wins a tight tight decision 115 to 113 times 2 and the other scorecard going 115 to 113 for Anselmo Moreno these kind of losses um, that Moreno has suffered in his last few have been tight you know this one just a fine line deciding Yamanaka versus Moreno in what could proved to be one of Moreno's last uh, viable shot at a world title. Maybe not, though, you know? Um, what he was able to accomplish against Yamanaka in this fight shows me that he does still have something left. I think the Payano fight uh, is kind of an aberration, to be honest with you. I mean, he gets cut real bad in the second round and then doesn't fight very well thereafter. I think that fight would have been much closer. I think Moreno possibly could have came out on top. But being distracted by the blood in the second round uh, put Payano on top on the scorecards in that fight that was eventually stopped in the sixth round. But to be completely honest with you, um, I think Moreno still got something left in the tank. Yamanaka is definitely aging. Um, there's no doubt about that, but the upright classic boxer behind his jab is cool, calculated, and calm. Um, it was a good fight, competitive fight, but in the end, it was the hometown Shinseki Yamanaka retaining his WBC bantam weight championship all right folks well that will do it for my post-fight wrap-ups from earlier this week but before i dive into the preview of the pbc on nbc as deontay wilder squares off against johan duapas i'd like to take a second to thank our sponsors looking to maximize your sports betting bankroll then sign up with betonline.ag today and claim an exclusive 75 percent bonus on your first deposit just use promo code boxing rant and up to $1,000 worth of sportsbook free plays will be credited to your account instantly. Once you're in on the action, you'll see firsthand why I've been wagering at betonline.ag for over six years now. Bonuses on every qualifying deposit, the earliest opening odds in the industry, state-of-the-art live betting software. Their mobile app is awesome. Plus, you get the highest parlay and teaser payouts on the planet. You can get odds on NFL, college football, baseball playoffs are right around the corner, basketball season starting soon, MMA, boxing, and of course, soccer. 
and just about every other sport too. This is just a small sample of what's waiting for you at betonline.ag. And thanks to a large list of banking options, including credit cards, getting your account up to speed takes no time at all. And most importantly, when it comes time to get paid, your winnings will always be delivered on time. Remember, score your 75% bonus. Use promo code BOXINGRANT. Sign up at betonline.ag today because you can. All right, thanks to our sponsor, betonline.ag. Make sure you sign up. Get that 75% bonus. Boxing rant. The PBC on NBC returns, and so does the headliner, WBC heavyweight champion Deontay Wilder, as he squares off against the guy you've never heard of, Johan Duapas from the Legacy Arena in Birmingham, Alabama. Deontay Wilder returns to his home state where he has a nice following, uh, no doubt about it. Um, winning his WBC heavyweight championship bout, we all remember, back in January, he beat up on Berman Stavern, um, an out-of-shape, just lethargic Berman Stavern in a pretty impressive fashion. I mean, he quieted a lot of his critics, and, you know, to be completely honest with you, it was a sound, well-rounded boxing display. Um, he showed great use of a jab, um, and his one-two was pretty devastating. And he, you know what? He moved okay, considering he's got, you know, he's got those, those thin sort of uh, stork-like legs. His last fight against Eric Molina, right, back in June at the Bartow Arena, um, also in Birmingham, Alabama, was in front of just over 9,000 fans. So, you know, theoretically, they were like, oh, well, let's take it to a bigger arena. So they move into a much larger arena at the Legacy at the Legacy Arena. And, you know, personally, I think that this was a pretty big mistake having this fight on a Saturday. I mean, I know what they're trying to do here, okay? They're trying to make it part of their hyperbole. Oh, this is historic because it's the first time that a heavyweight fight has been contested on free TV in forever. I'm not really sure how much people are listening to that, you know? Like, the promotion... You know, you hear Lou DiBella saying, oh, it's historic. It's historic. I mean, the fact is, this is Alabama. You know, they can try to sort of spin this as he's the only professional sports franchise. It doesn't really matter. I mean, no offense to Deontay Wilder, but Alabama does not need um, a professional sports franchise. They have Alabama football and Auburn football. And to them, this is the state of Alabama, this is the epicenter of the SEC. This is the center of college football. Nothing is bigger in this state. Nothing will ever be bigger in this state. So they decide to host this fight against a guy that literally most diehard boxing fans had never heard of. A lot of people in the country of France, where Duapas is from, have never heard of him. This is kind of how irrelevant this guy is. Um they decide to have this fight on the same day, on a Saturday, that Auburn and Alabama are both playing at home. Um, I think that this is a, an enormously questionable decision. You know, if they wanted to sell this thing out, they should have had this on a Friday night. Honestly. I mean, I know they want to have them on NBC, but realistically, is NBC going to pick up the PBC when it's all said and done? No, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if this is going to be part of their their main program, or if they're going to make an, off, an offer to the PBC. It's far more likely anyways 
that Spike and ESPN are going to be the two networks that end up picking up the PBC when it's all said and done because the ratings for both have been pretty good for, you know, for Spike and ESPN. And the brand sort of seems to fit a little bit more there. Um, So, you know, I see what they're trying to do here. I think the timing is horrible, and I think that it is a gross exaggeration to think that this fight um, is going to be sold out. I mean, you know, they launched this promotion with UAB, with University of Alabama, Birmingham, that if you buy, I don't know, it's like you get 20% off of a ticket to the Wilder fight if you buy a ticket to the football game or something like that. You know, I mean, this promotion was was announced just a few days ago. So that being said, had this been a part of the original promotion, it might have been far more successful. But for some reason, the PBC guys, when it comes to selling tickets and promoting fights, they really, they really don't get it. You know, they really, really do not get it. So the tickets for this, I mean, maybe it's going to be full, maybe not. But most of the tickets are being given away um, at a pretty substantial uh, discount. Now, there will be a contingency there of loyal Deontay Wilder fans. Maybe his brand is growing beyond, you know, all of these factors that go against a fighter, to be completely honest with you, that struggled a little bit in his last fight. Um, It ended the way that a lot of us anticipated that it should have. But the fight in June against Eric Molina, uh, Wilder was a 50-1 to favorite. Yes, he knocked down Molina in the fourth, twice in the fifth, and ended up knocking him out in the ninth. But Molina caught Wilder in the third round and wobbled him. It's just Molina didn't do anything to capitalize for some reason. You know, Um, this fight was much what this Johan Duapas fight is supposed to be. Okay, Duapas enters 32-2 and with 20 knockouts. His last fight against Manuel Char in April, uh, Duapas won by majority decision. The guy is extremely stationary, really flat-footed. He's got a pretty good chin, but, man, is he slow. He has literally been hand-selected for one reason and one reason only. They want a guy with a decent chin to stand across from him that's not going to move very much that Wilder can tee off on and possibly put on a an impressive knockout victory, or even if it's over the distance, an impressive beatdown of Duwapis in front of his hometown fans on NBC. I'm sorry, Saturday night, most sports fans are going to, and even a lot of boxing fans, because a lot of boxing fans are also fans of college football, probably more than likely are going to be tuning into college football. Um, this is what it is, you know? Wilder has been unbelievably protected, okay? Unbelievably protected. Uh, as much respect as I have for Wilder, his life, where he comes from, uh, what he has made himself to be, I'm talking about not from a per- – this isn't a personal observation. This is a pure analytical boxing observation, all right? He has literally outside of Berman Stavern fought nothing but stiffs, and he has v- very, very few rounds logged in his professional career because of this. So while they've protected a guy that needed more in-ring experience, he wasn't getting the in-ring experience. He's only has, in 34 fights, he's got 79 rounds of experience. Here's the problem with this. The PBC would rather use the 34-0 record with 33 knockouts as a piece of PR because that's what they are. They're a publicity machine, positive publicity, spin, and hyperbole. Instead of really looking at it for what it's worth, the fact that they are overlooking what 
can seriously be the ultimate kryptonite and undoing of their, you know, of their champion, of their of their heavyweight version of world champion. And Deontay Wilder is is that he has very few rounds logged. And if he steps in the ring with a legitimate top 10 heavyweight, Wilder could possibly struggle. I think his chin is suspect. We've seen him wobbled by inferior fighters, okay? Inferior fighters. He has been over the distance once in his entire career, and that was against an out-of-shape, sluggish, flat-footed Berman Stavern who did not train for the fight. Wilder has been made to look good, okay? These fights against Duapis, I'm not going to get excited about these. I'm not going to hype them up. I'm not going to do anything other than call them what they are because until the day comes that Deontay Wilder gets in the ring with a legitimate threat, somebody that is of equal malice as he is, until he fights the likes of Alexander Povetkin or anybody around there, somebody in the top five, then it's going to be hard to give this guy much more respect than he seems like a good guy. He's very, uh, he's got a great personality, great potential to build a star here in Deontay Wilder, and he can punch hard, and he works hard. I mean, these are all great qualities. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm bashing the guy based off of the fact that he has been protected and has very little experience. Very little experience. Yeah, it's great for their promo banners now. And, you know, these puff pieces that are being written on BoxingScene.com for him by his personal writer, Jake Donovan. I mean, these are all great things, right? For him, for the PR, for the image. I don't know. Honestly, I I don't think it serves him well. I really don't. Maybe it's fights like this against Duapis, guys, that theoretically have good chins for him to get rounds because he's going to need it. Because to be completely honest with you, um, I would favor Povetkin going into that fight if he meets the mandatory, which I don't think they have any intention of meeting that fight at all. Um, because let's be honest, Al Heyman may have some money, and he may have the $400 million war chest that he's already blown through half of it. Um, but Alexander Povetkin is backed by a billionaire in Russia. Yeah, a billionaire in Russia. The guy has gone and, and paid 20 to $30 million in purse bid situations. So do they want, I mean, PBC fighters, I haven't seen any American PBC fighters fight outside of the United States. These guys aren't real world champions. They don't, they don't fight in other countries. They don't do what Muhammad Ali used to do. They don't do what the, the greatest fighters of all time used to do and travel places and, and, and take other people's championship property. That's not what happens. These PBC guys are unbelievably protected protected against low-level, bottom-rung fighters and propped up to believe that they have accomplished more than in the grand scheme of things and on an even playing field with all parties involved, political affiliations aside, right? They're led to believe that they are something where if you put them on that level playing field, um, they might get exploited for what they are. I mean, Wilder is a good talent, and I wish well for him. But I think that his management group, Al Heyman, his advisor, I think is doing him a disservice by putting him in the ring with bums. 100% because if they do go into the ring and he says, take, even if they lose a purse bid against Pavetkin, right? Um, and that billionaire decides he wants to pay $30 million for that. 
and Wilder gets 15 or 18 million or, you know, and it's by far probably the most money he'll ever make in his entire career. I could see Al Heyman telling him to turn it down because he will give him an accumulation of soft touches, guys that he can knock out in three or four rounds and pay him a million, million and a half, two million dollars for each one of those fights to finally accumulate to that. Because what happens if Wilder gets knocked out by Povetkin? Okay, yeah, he's got retirement money, right? But what does that do for Al Heyman? Because it's clearly all about Al Heyman, regardless of what, uh, you know, this fighter first crap and, you know, whatever they say. Um, at the end of the day, <laughs> Al Heyman needs a, an American heavyweight champion, regardless if he acknowledges uh, the belts or not, right? So I don't know. Well, there's a lot of factors at play here. Um, as far as the fight goes, Wilder's going to have to protect himself and not get reckless. Duapas, um is going to have to go for it at some point. If he tries to box with Wilder and can survive the power, he's just going to end up taking a beating over 12 rounds, much like Berman Stavern. Personally, I, I don't think that that makes much sense. Why would you want to say that you went the distance with Deontay Wilder and get your ass beat over 12 long rounds in the process? That is no good for anybody, especially Duwapas' brain. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, he doesn't have a chance anyways. If he doesn't if he doesn't knock Wilder down a couple times or by chance land a Hail Mary punch and knock him out, there's no chance of him winning this fight. Whether it's close or not, he's not going to win it on the cards. Truth is, Wilder can be hurt, and I personally think Wilder's power is a little overrated because we've only the only fighter that he has fought within the top 10 in his entire career is Berman Stavern. And like I said, an out-of-shape, slow, sluggish, didn't train Berman Stavern. And his power looked decent, right? His power is devastating. Those 33 knockouts look fantastic against bums because that's who he's fought, nothing but bums. So I, I personally think his power is a little overrated. Um, you know, we talked about what's next for Wilder. His mandatory Alexander Provetkin fights Marius Wach in November. Stay busy fight as he chomps at the bit for his shot at the WBC title. You know, and the final question to be asked, and I, I, I kind of beat it like a dead horse a little bit, but will the PBC continue the soft touches for Deontay Wilder? Um, you know, knowing what's at risk for their company if he were to lose that title. A lot of questions up in the air here. Um, I wish the best of luck to Deontay Wilder, and hopefully his advisor starts giving him good advice because uh, we've seen what his advisor's good advice has done for the likes of Peter Quillen um, and Adonis Stevenson. Yeah, it's gotten him paid, but it's also made him look like schleps. And, um, you know, and even Danny Garcia, you know, it's gotten him paid too. But the respect that these guys have lost because of soft matchmaking and taking away the dare to be great part of boxing out of the PBC equation has hurt these guys' reputations and their images. And I'd hate to see that happen to a nice guy like Deontay Wilder. All right, let's move on. So that's the PBC on NBC Saturday night from Alabama, 8.30 p.m. Now we go to Mexico for the WBO and WBA Flyweight Championship. One of the very best boxers on the planet, period. Juan Francisco Estrada squares off against Tyson Marquez from the convention center in Puerto Panasco, Sonora, Mexico. Juan Francisco Estrada, El Gallo, the rooster, He's only 25 years old, and he's already one of the 10 or 15 best fighters in the world. Most boxing writers and pundits 
would agree with me there as he is in some top 10 pound for pound lists and he's right outside in others. He comes in at number 10 on the most recent rankings here at the boxing rant. Um, He most notably got his first title shot in 2012 when he dropped down to junior flyweight to face off against Chocolatito Roman Gonzalez. He lost a memorable fight, um, just a really high action. Oh man, just really highly skilled back and forth against one of the best fighters in the world. And most people consider to be the very best fighter in the world. Um, In that memorable fight, the judges scored it a unanimous decision victory for Chocolatito, one sixteen to one twelve times two, and one eighteen to one ten. Some argue it was closer, um, but while Estrada was undoubtedly one of the best fighters in the world, Chocolatito showed why he is the very, very best. Everything that Estrada did, everything that he did in the fight, except maybe the lead jab, because Estrada's jab was definitely um, his lead-in weapon of choice. Chocolatito just did better. Um, you can watch that fight over and over again. I implore you to if you've only seen it once because, honestly, every time I watch the fight, I pick up something new and I learn something different about both fighters. Um, after the fight, Estrada returned to flyweight immediately and received a title shot against the Hawaiian punch, Brian Valoria. Brian Valoria is actually going to be fighting Chocolatito on the undercard in the co-feature of Gennady Golovkin versus David Lemieux just here in a few weeks. Estrada defeated Valoria by split decision, but the 117-111 and 116-111 scorecards were much more indicative of the actual uh, result than the 115-113 that Levi Martinez turned in for Brian Valoria. In steps Hernan Marquez. He's a former WBA champion who actually lost his title um, in a unification fight with Brian Valoria. Now, Marquez steps into this fight against one of the best fighters in the world. Um, in his last nine fights, he's 5-3-1. and one. All three losses coming by way of knockout. Valoria knocked him out, Giovanni Segura knocked him out, and McJoe Arroyo knocked him out. Estrada, on the other hand, knocked out Segura and beat Valoria pretty decisively. Um, so you can kind of see what this fight is. I think Estrada wants nothing more than a rematch with Chocolatito. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, hopefully that fight is on the horizon soon. Because I think a rematch between Juan Francisco Estrada and Chocolatito at a more comfortable weight for Estrada. Because now, you know, Roman uh, Gonzalez Chocolatito is the undisputed flyweight champion of the world. Um, He holds the ring and the WBC belts. While, uh, meanwhile, Estrada holds the WBO and WBA versions so now because you know Estrada came down now granted it was only a few pounds um, to drop down to junior flyweight to fight Chocolatito back when they did fight this would be at his more natural current weight so I don't know maybe that would help him maybe it wouldn't maybe you'd see a little bit more power from Estrada in that fight either way a fight with Chocolatito and Juan Francisco Estrada uh, just an unbelievable unbelievable fight I look for Estrada to stop Marquez probably somewhere around the sixth or seventh round with an impressive knockout victory. Um, Juan Francisco Estrada. If you haven't seen him fight, watch him fight. YouTube his videos. Watch the fight against Chocolatito. You will not be disappointed. It is high, high skilled. The highest skill. You know, those are sometimes the best fights. Sometimes they can equate the duds depending on, you know, the two participants in the fight and how they bring it. But this was a fight of two determined, highly skilled fighters. So check it out. 
I like El Gallo, the rooster. Juan Francisco Estrada by way of mid-rounds stoppage. All right, so let's move to another fight on Unimas. Um, the return of Andy Ruiz. Uh, you know, at one time, a highly regarded heavyweight prospect who just got really sloppy, really lazy, and really overweight. Apparently, he has lost 40 pounds. Um, after a sloppy performance, which saw Ruiz weighing near 280 pounds against uh, Soraya Lakajevich, he's regrouped, moved to Big Bear, where he has reportedly lost close to 40 pounds. He scores off against Devin Vargas, like I said, a 10-rounder on Unimas, the undefeated heavyweight, um, a very skilled heavyweight that people have always felt if he could get it together and get in shape, um, that he could really make a move with his boxing skills and his quick hands in the heavyweight division. If Ruiz is victorious, he will be featured on the undercard of Terrence Crawford versus Deary John. All right, let's move to Fedor Chudinov versus Frank Bugliani, the wise guy for the WBA second-tier version of their super middleweight strap. Andre Ward's actually the real champion, so this is really just a fight for uh, a, a trophy. Chudinov versus Bugliani. Um, the fight was originally scheduled in July, but Chudinov suffered a broken nose in sparring. Coming into this fight, Chudinov only 13-0 with 10 knockouts. Bugliani is 17-1-1 one one with 12 knockouts. There's a big size discrepancy in this fight. Chudinov comes in five foot nine with a 72-inch reach, and Bugliani is six foot one with a 78-inch reach. Here's the difference. Chudinov is compact, short to the target, and he's got really good power inside. Um, he face-planted Alex McCulloch in, their second, in the second round of their fight um, when he actually acquired the belt, or no, the interim version, I'm sorry, of the WBA belt last year. Then Chudinov went on to win the version of the 168-pound WBA strat when he defeated Felix Sturm in Germany to win this title. Bugliani is kind of on the fringe. I mean, there's been talks if he's even going to continue boxing because he has a career outside of the ring. Sometimes a guy that has a career outside of the ring um, will tell you kind of at the level usually indicates journeyman. You can see a sign flashing above his head, journeyman, journeyman, journeyman. While he's still young and, you know, I mean, there is still potential that it could be something more than that. He kind of reminds me of Chris Algieri, not just because he's a good-looking white guy, um, but just kind of the way that he fights, you know. It's kind of deliberate. Um, he's got some decent movement here and there, but that knockout loss to Sergei Kamitsi was gnarly. I mean, the two fighters were, like, literally just standing looking at each other. And... Bugliani has his hands like right below his chin. And for some reason, Kamitsky winds up to throw this left hook and Bugliani drops his hands. Like as the, as the punch is coming, he winces and braces for it. And while doing that, drops his hands and gets clocked. Absolutely clocked. Kamitsky swarmed him, beat on him a few times, and he was out on the ropes. The, um, the, the corner of Bugliani stopped the fight. It was ugly. All right. Look, I'm just going to keep this really simple. I've watched some film on both of these guys, and that knockout against Kamitsky really kind of scares me in this fight. Bugliani might have success as long as he doesn't get caught, but I think eventually he will, and I think Chudinov's going to stop him. I really do. Um, there's nothing fantastic or flashy or anything about Chudinov. You know, I don't think that he, he, he could one day, you know, if he became a smart, intelligent fi- type of fighter like Arthur Abraham, you know, he could end up winning like a full title one day, you know, but he's not, you know, he's not a baby and he's 28 years old. He's only got 13 fights. Yeah, he had a, 
he had a decent length of a of a amateur career, about 170 fights. But I don't know, it's just kind of a mundane pedestrian fight. I'm sure the Londoners, the big supporters of Bugliani, will you know be out in full effect to support their guy. Uh, this is kind of a mid level fight. I know our friends in the in the UK um, might want to hear a little bit about it, what I think about it. And to be completely honest with you, I just think you know Bugliani is just kind of a B level fighter, um, and I think he'd probably be better served going off and um, you know earning a career in his other uh, venture in life, and that is as a surveyor. So I just think that um, Judoff's going to catch him, probably stop this thing around the ninth round. Also on the card, Ryan Walsh squares off against Samir. Monami for the vacant British featherweight title. The Commonwealth strap um, also goes up for grabs between Luis Pettit. I'm sorry, Luis Pettit and uh, fellow super bantamweight Bobby Jenkinson. Bradley Skeet, 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 goddamn. Squares off for the WBO European welterweight title in a 10-rounder against Mark Thompson. From Japan, Katsunari Takayama will defend his IBF strawweight title against Ryuji Hara. Takayama, the 15th year pro, Brings punches in bunches, always in shape. Lost to Chocolatito when Chocolatito was a uh, Chocolatito Tito, tiny Chocolatito, back in 2009. Um, Hara only lost to the current WBO champion, Kosai Tanaka. The loss to Tanaka last year was a close fight, but he ran out of gas and was finally stopped in the 10th round. Um, Takayama is a pro's pro. He does have quite a few losses. This could be the fight. Uh, if Hara can catch him where he can win the belt. I think Hara has a legitimate shot. If it goes the distance, Takayama wins decisively. All right, let's get to some news and notes, and then I'll close it out here on episode 76 of The Tale of the Tape. This just in. Vladimir Klitschko has been injured in his first day of training since returning to Austria. He had been training in the United States, They had the press conference. Tyson Fury dresses up like Batman, puts on a scene, tackles the Joker, saves the day, solves the crime, uh, puts on a show in a pretty explosive press conference. Everybody really, really getting ramped up about this thing. And he returns to Austria and ends up um, having an MRI, which shows that he has a partial tear in his left calf. Um, The doctors are saying that it should be postponed for an indefinite amount of time. Some feel that uh, Klitschko and Fury would be able to revisit this fight sometime in late November or early December. Really disappointed. There's a lot of things on the line with this as far as, you know, all the different television outlets that were involved. Um, It was supposed to be tied together on on, uh, Sky Sports um, with the Diego Chavez challenging Kell Brook for his IBF welterweight strap. But, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is uh, with much chagrin that uh, Vladimir Klitschko versus Tyson Fury has been postponed indefinitely. And, um, man, that's disappointing. I was really, really looking forward uh, to previewing and uh, watching that fight. Hopefully it still happens. Hopefully it's not. I bet you Fury is pissed. And I'm sure sure as hell Klitschko's got to be pissed and disappointed. These guys have been working hard for this for this fight. Um, in other news, Sergey Kovalev versus Andre Ward seems to be inevitable as Andre Ward looks to sign a multi-fight deal with HBO. Um, there, it has been rumored and reported that maybe this is a caveat. Um, it's, a, it's a ploy. And, and Ward taking a fight on the undercard of Cotto versus Canelo and then paying him substantially for it. And in return, that Ward would promise a fight with Sergey Kovalev in 2016. 
Apparently, it's inevitable. And if that fight is inevitable and you could tell me today that it is signed and guaranteed, that, my friends, that is a fight. <laughs> that right there is a fight. Man, Kovalev Ward, the crusher, versus the irrelevant one. That's big time. Um, also rumored to be in negotiations, Arthur Abraham versus Bernard Hopkins in 2016. Abraham already has a fight scheduled against TBA. looks like uh, Al Heyman has loaned out one of his TBAs for Arthur Abraham. Um, that'll be in November, so it looks like this fight wouldn't be able to happen until early 2016 when B-Hop, uh, the alien, the executioner, would be 51 years old. Hopkins has never fought at super middleweight, so this would be his first shot at a 168-pound belt. Um, hey, I watch it. This would be a good one. And uh, you know what? Honestly, Hopkins would have a legitimate chance, but, um, you know, against Abraham, because Abraham uh, doesn't do too well against, uh, you know, shifty athletic boxers, even if they are 51 years old. So we'll see. Um, Scott Quigg, Nonito Donaire is a no-go. Fight seems to be dead in the water. Donaire agreed to everything, signed everything, apparently. But uh, Scott Quigg said he'd rather work on the Frampton fight. I guess it makes sense because, you know, to be completely honest with you, if Donaire were to beat Quigg, which, I don't, you know, some of my UK friends might might disagree with me here. Um, if Donaire were to beat Quigg, which I think he would personally, I think I think Donaire would beat Scott Quigg at 122 pounds, um, then the Frampton fight loses luster. I mean, it may not lose luster in, in, in Belfast or in Manchester, but it would on an international stage point of view, you know? Like the fight wouldn't be able to be held in a stadium necessarily if Quigg were to lose that momentum and get defeated by Donaire. I mean, either way, the IBF said it wasn't going to grant unification status to Frampton versus Quigg because, like I've said, time and time again on this show and had to explain to some people that choose to argue this for whatever reason, Quigg is not a champion. He is not the WBA champion. He holds one of their multiple trophies, okay? He holds the junior varsity version of Guillermo Rigondeaux's WBA Super Bantamweight Championship title status. Um, so the IBF's like, you know what? We're not going to make it a unification fight anyways because we don't recognize the WBA's low-level trinkets as actual belts. You know what? I'll talk to my friends over in Belfast and ask them um, what they know about the status as this is being revisited, this negotiation. But to be completely honest with you, I don't see it happen. Every time I hear a quote from Barry McGuigan, it's, it's as if McGuigan doesn't want this fight to happen. And I don't know why, you know? Um, I think Frampton would want to fight everybody. But then again, he signed with the PBC and came to the United States and fought a nobody. So does he? There's a lot of back and forth. Everybody says they want it, but at the end of the day, they can't get the deal done. So I'm not keeping my fingers crossed, even though Quig Donaire, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Quig versus Frampton. Carl Frampton versus Scott Quigg and Kell Brook versus Amir Khan are the two biggest fights that could be made in the United Kingdom today. And I don't see either fight happening until these guys pull their heads out from their asses. Everybody involved, both fights, everybody is going to make boatloads of cash. The only reason, the only reason, I don't care about the excuses from any of the camps or what their bias, loyal, to the end, fan bases say. These two fights are not being made because one or more of the fighters does not want the fight. 
It takes two to tango. I don't care how much money. Because either way, both would make boatloads of cash. So if you're going to nickel and dime it over 100 grand when you have an opportunity to establish yourself as the best 122-pounder on the planet, I don't know. Excuses make excuses lend to me in this these circumstances with these two possible UK mega fights as the fighters don't want it. Dare to be great, make the damn fight, get in the ring and do the deal. Rising English lightweight star 2012 Olympic gold medalist Luke Campbell. Cool hand Luke has been added to the undercard of Joshua Anthony. Anthony Joshua, the rising mega heavyweight talent. As he squares off against Dillian White, Luke Campbell has been added to the card, so that's good exposure for him as Joshua has become this sellout franchise over in the UK before ever fighting anybody that anybody's heard of. Um, DeGale versus Boutte in talks for November, a fight in Montreal. Uh, why DeGale would agree to a fight against Boutte in Montreal has everything to do with one thing, has to do with the pockets of Al Heyman. This fight should be held in the UK. Al Heyman needs to pony up the cash and make the fight. Reach into that war chest, steal more of the money from the people that have invested in to Waddell and Reed, and put the fight on where it belongs. The Gale's the champ. I mean, come on. Honestly. Butte had one comeback fight against the guy that none of you or me or anybody that watches boxing will ever see watch fight again. The fight needs to be in the UK, period. Marcos Maidana. Yes, we have a Maidana sighting, and he is not eating a 12-pack of tacos. Will return in 2016, and possibly at junior middleweight. Um, He has been enjoying the fruits of his labor, enjoying the back-to-back mega paydays that he received from Floyd Mayweather. And as a result, he has gained a ton of weight. Apparently, he's over 200 pounds. A guy, a welterweight who is over 200 pounds, yeah, I think it might be a stretch. It might be a good idea for him. It might even be a good idea for him to fight a bum at 160, to be completely honest with you. Um, that's a lot of weight to shed. A lot of weight. But he will not return in 2015 and is being slated for a return in 2016, which will do Al Heyman wonders because he needs a fighter like Marcos Maidana in the ring because very few of his guys put it all on the line like Marcos Maidana does. Um, That would be a very, very welcome sight for sore eyes. No doubt about it. All right, folks. So it was a busy episode. I know there was a lot there, a lot of of foreign fights, but I wanted to bring some of those fights to light because they're going to be great ones to watch. There's some action-packed championship fights going on. Make sure you catch that Juan Francisco Estrada fight um, because if you haven't seen him fight, it is worth a view just to see one of the best in action. So that'll do it, folks, for episode 76 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. But I will be back on Monday with episode 77 to recap all the action from Birmingham, Alabama, as Deontay Wilder defends his heavyweight crown. And a recap of the action from Mexico as Juan Francisco Estrada defends his flyweight titles. Plus, a preview of Matisse versus Postal. And so much more, as I'll be joined yet again by my co-host and partner in crime, Vince Cummings, for episode 77 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, here on TheBoxingRant.com. 
I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. Follow the show at The Boxing Rant and rant with us on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram. Drop me a line, podcast at theboxingrant.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Spreaker. But I just want to send a special thank you to all of you out there for tuning in yet again to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.